0: Okay, so the idea that we need to um, get through is that regardless of the level of soul somebody has, ultimately ha- their soul contains some aspect of what is called Chachma of the world of Atzilos. Why it is so important that every Jewish soul contains some aspect of Chachma of the world of Atsilos will become clear as we continue. So right now... Um, Do not worry about what Chokhmah of the world of Atzillus is and why it is important. What we need to simply understand is how even if your soul doesn't come from that level, your soul still contains that level. We spoke last time about how there's this entire array of different levels of um, the spheros, and every soul comes from a particular source. And so in theory, one would expect that your soul is defined by its root and therefore if your soul comes from a different place, your soul has different qualities. And you do not have access to the ability to serve Hashem um, based on other other sources, other qualities, and yet we want to say that every soul, in some sense, has something similar about it that they all have this quality from chachma of the world of Atzilus. Again, whatever chachma is, and whatever the world of Atzilus is, it doesn't matter. Yet, okay. So there are going to be there are three ideas. The first idea um, is that. Since the sphere, since these are the ten holy spheres, there is a rule that everything, each sphere contains the other one. So even if you come from the lowest level, I don't know what the lowest sphere is. You can look on your chart. Yes. <laughs> uh, Malchus. Malchus. So even if your soul comes from Malchus, because the spheres are holy, therefore they're all um, incorporate some aspect of each other, therefore even if your soul comes from Malchus, you have some aspect of Chachma. That's idea number one. Okay? You have what? If your soul comes from Malchus, but because the spheres are holy, and we're gonna talk about what that means. We've mentioned the end of last class, but we're gonna start again from the beginning. In as these are the holy these spirits are holy, all the spheres contain some aspect of each other. So even if you come from the lowest level Malchus, your soul contains Chachma. Okay, now that idea only helps you when we're talking about the spheres of the same world. We spoke about how there are many worlds, many layers. So that means if your soul comes from Malchus of the world of Asiya, which is the lowest level, this idea only gets you Chachma of Asiya. It doesn't get you anything higher than that. Okay. so then you move on to the second idea. Okay. That clothed in the Chachma of the world of Asia is what is called Chachma of Malchus of Atsilos. So the idea of a higher world being clothed in a lower world. Okay? But that's still not good enough because that only, when we say that the higher world is clothed in the lower world, that's only from the sphere of Malchus. And we want to get to all the way to the Chachma of Atsilos. So then you have a third idea, okay, which is that the chachma of Malchus of Atzilos incorporates the chachma of Atzilus. So we have these three ideas. One, I'm going to repeat everything again. It's all in the text, but if you look inside, I'm just reading from the text. Number one is how all the spheres are compounded with each other, and contain an aspect of each other. Two, their higher world is clothed in the lower world. And three, there's... The, um, there's the lower aspects of the sphere incorporating the higher aspect of the sphere. Okay, so there's these three ways of trying to create this link. Okay. If anybody would like the Hebrew, um, okay. so the, the first idea is that they're kula mikula. Kula means that they're, they, they incorporate each other. The second idea is. That there's something, it's muluveshus, it's clothed. And the third one just says it's betoich, it's within it. So we have these three ideas. Compounded or contained, clothed, and then incorporated or inside. Okay. And somehow doing that, you can get even the lowest level soul contains an aspect of the highest sphere. Okay. Now, this is all going to be very abstract. Abstract things are hard to follow. Okay. So we need a lot of analogies. Um, remember the analogies are for the ideas. The analogies are not actually what it's like. Okay, So let's start with the, with the first thing. Okay, and we have two things that we need to explain. Number one, what does it mean that every sphera incorporates every other sphera? They're included with each other, compounded with each other. And then, why does that follow from the spheras being holy spheras? Because, says because they're holy, therefore they're included. So we're going to do the first thing here. So what does it mean they're all included? Okay. So I'm going to start with a very simple. Um, I'm going to start with a, with, a, with a very simple idea. Okay. There are two things which are opposites, and yet you always find them together. And those two things are, hot and cold. Now, will you agree with the first thing that, that hot and cold are opposites? Would you agree that you always find them together? Can you ever have something that's just hot? Or just cold? Well, think about it. What does it mean that something is hot? It's relative, right? Mm-hmm. It's hot. So when we speak about something hot, we're abstracting, right? The thing is at a certain temperature, right? That's what the yeah, It's at a certain temperature. When we say that it's hot, We're abstracting how it is hotter than something else. Something adjacent to it, something we expect, whatever it is, right? And at the same time, you could abstract the other way and appreciate that that temperature is also colder than something else. That make sense? Now, what's really interesting, and this is just to help flesh out the analogy, it's not really like central to to the theme, but I think it makes it interesting. we don't experience temperature, did you know that? We like to have no ability to experience temperature. We experience hot and cold. This is why, for instance, when you go outside from a warm room and, and the outside air is cooler, it feels cold. But if you go to that same temperature air from say, very, very, like out of like a refrigerator, it would feel warm, which leads to this very interesting phenomenon. If you take one hand and put it in very hot water, and the other hand, you put it in very cold water You'll let it sit there for a minute or two. Then you take both hands and put them in room temperature water. What will happen? The hand that was in the cold water will feel like the water it's in is hot, and the other hand will feel that the water is cold. So is the water hot, or is it cold, or is it both? It's both, because hot and cold, right, are the way one temperature relates to another temperature. So even though they're opposite conceptually, in reality they coexist, yeah? Okay. Can we do this with other things? They say hard and soft. Yeah. So a lot of qualitative opposites are like that. Okay. So when we about speak about the different spheres, right, the spheres have this way in which that they are all incorporated with the, each other. I don't mean to say like they're, they're, that, that there's a bunch of little pieces and they're all hanging out together. I mean to say that no matter what the tiniest little aspect of sphere actually is going to have all 10. What it's different is the, is, is the variation between them. So let's go use the example of hard. Um, is um, steel hard? If you take a diamond, I don't recommend doing this if you have diamond jewelry, but you can if you want. If you take a diamond and you take something that's steel and you start trying to etch onto it, what will you discover? That the steel is not that hard. Why? Because the diamond is harder, so the hardness of the diamond exposes the softness of the steel, right? Even though if that steel was a knife, right, the, hard, the hardness of the steel of the knife would expose the softness of, say, wood. Right. So it doesn't. So even though everything is hard and everything is soft, everything is hot and everything is cold. It doesn't mean that they're all the same, right? Now, so when we speak about a particular thing, when we're saying, "Oh, this is the sphere of malchus. So this is the sphere of Chachmah, What we mean to say is, the malchus quality is the one that is most dominant, the most manifest, the one that kind of determines overall the relationship with everything else. But really, if you examine it closely it has all the qualities of all 10 spheres. Okay, so is this chart a helpful way of explaining that idea? Mm-hmm. No, because in that chart, what do you do? You break apart each individual thing and you draw lines of connection, right? Mm-hmm. I'll give you another example. Um, food, okay? Food is enjoyable b- primarily because of two things, taste and texture. Yes? Okay. Um, anyone here know how to cook? Mm-hmm. Okay. Scientifically, what makes food taste really good? As opposed to just I think it's good, but as opposed to really good. Now, obviously, salt there are things that vary from pe- from person to person. What? Spices, salt. Spices and salt make a difference. Mm. Heat. Heat. All these things make a difference. But what are you trying to accomplish with these things? Combinations. Combinations. You are trying to get that you want multiple flavors and textures to come together in one experience. Okay? In other words, something which is just crunchy generally is not as enjoyable as something which is both soft and crunchy. We have to figure out how to get the soft and crunchy to work together, okay? This is where the science behind the art of cooking comes in. Same thing with flavors, okay? So you have a similar idea there. Right, is that all these things, right, it's, it's, and it's like if I eat this part of the food and it's spicy and I eat this part of the food and it's salty, that's not really it. It's like somehow the spiciness and the saltiness or the, the crunchiness and the softness, they play off each other and create this kind of cohesive experience. Okay. If you wanted to go even further, you could say something like, say, coffee, right, where you have multiple flavors together, especially if you add milk and sugar, right, and you can still vary, it, right? You can have a very, very milky, kind of creamy coffee, very sugary, you can have a very bitter, right? But really, it's all going to have variations on these themes. So really the difference between one sphere and the next is how these qualities kind of stand in relation to each other rather than being like pieces, each one separately on its own. So that means if your soul comes from the lowest possible level, you must have some aspect of even the highest level because that's, that, that's what spheres are. Spheres, have every sphere really has all qualities to it, just in a kind of different degree and a different proportion. Okay, I'm going to stop here and ask if that idea in and of itself um, is reasonably understood before we move on. If it's not, then we should spend more time on it, but it is, even if obviously there's obviously questions and complications that could arise from it, um, then I want to move on to then talking about how that is a necessary um, result of the spheres being holy. Is this good? Okay, so the spheres are holy. Now, what does it mean okay. that the spheres are holy? So in Kabbalah, we divide all of reality into two sides. One side is called the Sitra de the side of holiness. And what is the other side called? Sitra Akhra. Which means? Other side. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Why is the other side called the other side? Because it's not. it it, it has no... It's not substantively interesting in and of itself. Its whole being is just that it happens to be the shadow of the side of holiness. Mm -hmm. Right? It's just the other, which we could spend a lot of time talking about that notion of otherness and othering, but but that that name is, is quite intentional. Okay, So the rule is that what differentiates the side of holiness from the other side is that the side of holiness reveals Hashem's being. Whereas the other side, it does not. Now, what does it mean to reveal Hashem's being? I have no idea. So we're going to talk about revealing our being. Okay? And I'm going to use a very simple analogy. Um, I'm sure many of us have gotten angry. Yes? In our lives, like, like really emotionally, like really angry. So I want to ask, when you are angry, do you feel, and these still go together, A, do you feel like yourself? And B, if somebody were to see you when you're angry, do you feel like they would have a, an accurate sense of who you are? No. So even though the anger is something that you are, exists because you're there and you're present and you're enlivening and everything else, but somehow the anger is actually corrupting both your, your internal sense of yourself and also the external sense of yourself that you convey to others, Right. So anger would be your own personal Sitra Achra, or other side. That make sense? Now, are there other aspects of you that really feel authentically, like, like you are really being authentic and true to yourself in that, and if people know you in that way, you feel seen, you feel like they, they're relating to you? Yes? Okay, so those kinds of qualities and experiences would be your own personal Sitra De Kedusha, your side of holiness. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So now when you look out in the world, as a general rule, which side are we living in? Both. As a general rule, which side are we living in? The uh, you know, Why would you say that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're living in like the emotions that are... Our... No, no, no. Now I'm moving around with you now. So like, you know, there's the actual side of holiness and then the other side... Which one are you living in? Sitra Acha. Sitra Acha, why? Because God is concealed. Yeah, our basic sense of things is there's this world, there's reality, and we might believe in God, understand God, and we may even sense that God is there, but we don't really have a sense of his being through reality. It's not like you wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, that's who God really is. Like, I get it, I get it, it resonates, it speaks to me. I feel like that's just just not our native sense of reality. There are people like that, by the way, they're very rare. Okay? But that's a topic for another time. Um, now, <coughs> let's go back to anger. I'm going to make an argument. You don't have to agree with me, although I believe it's true. And I think it's helpful for understanding this point. Why does anger feel so much like a corruption of ourself? That it doesn't feel like we're ourselves and it doesn't feel like if somebody knows me or sees me in my angry state that they really are seeing who I really am. Why is that? And the reason is there is something about human beings. Human beings are created in the divine image. People are created in the divine image. And the divine image is not angry. Why not? Because anger is, a, is anger is intolerant and anger is destructive and anger uh, is self-absorbed. And the divine image is not those things. So that means to the being of every person, in as much as they're a person, there is a, there's a constructiveness, there's a creativity, there's, a, there's, a, there's something um, life and other affirming in what it is to be a person. There's something um, transcendent, moral in what it is to be a person. And obviously that takes on different forms of different people. But anger is just completely the opposite of those things. And so, therefore, the, the, the entire experience of anger, while it might be very natural, covers over that kind of divine image. Um, this is why, one of the reasons why the Torah thinks that anger is a very negative thing and one should not get angry. Now, people sometimes ask, isn't there some appropriate anger? And we could do that as another topic sometime, because, but this is an analogy. We're not going to that complication. Right, so there is something that's true about the quality of our being as people, being the divine image, that anger is just the antithesis of. So now let's go back to God. God is one. Hashem echad. Now what it means that Hashem is one is that He is simple. Does anyone know what I mean when I say that Hashem is simple? What's the opposite of simple? Complicated. Good. Good. If I have two things, how do I figure out which one is more complicated? Which one has more parts to it. Right. So complicated means having parts. More parts, more complicated. Simple is the opposite. So what does simple mean? No No parts. So if something is generating a sense of distinct parts, especially when those parts are in conflict with each other, is that conveying Hashem's being or obstructing constr- or concealing His being? Right? In other words, if Hashem is being is one, in the absolute sense, He's truly simple, right? Then His being doesn't come through anything where you have distinct parts that really are in conflict or in tension with each other. So let's use a, a very, very simple example. Um, practical example of this. I'm sure everyone has heard that in Judaism we think of marriage as a central institution. Yes? Okay. Why is marriage from a theological point of view so central? There's, there's obviously from Judaism understands that it plays a very significant social role um, but from a theological point of view why is marriage so central? Two separate people come together and build one. That's right. Two people come together and in as much as they're able to unify that their difference is no longer separation, then we say that a man and a woman, in his, when they merit the divine presence rests among them, between them. Right? So the idea is that, that when difference necessitates separation, Hashem doesn't come through that. When difference can coexist as, in harmony, then the, then the oneness, the simplicity of Hashem's being has some way of manifesting. So if these are holy spheres, spheres which convey His being, can the sphereus ever be, well, I'm over here and you're over here. I'll do my thing, you do your thing. I'm this part and you're that part. That notion of the sphereus having to be divided between each other and each one gets its specific place and its specific role and managing the kind of tensions and conflicts between them would obstruct the truth of Hashem's being from coming through. So the simplicity of Hashem necessitates that the sphereus have a kind of unity within themselves. And therefore, the difference in the spheres are just that notion that there's these different qualities coexisting rather than different parts that have to be managed. And if you go back to this idea, now think of a marriage, right? The ideal in a marriage is that you do not have to um, compromise and coordinate and balance. And I say ideal because does that mean how out marriage works in real life? No. That you get to a point where you have a sense that there's like this this thing larger than the two of you, which is your family, and you are just manifesting a different aspect of it. Right. Um, I, I said this story before, that there was a very, very um, pious, righteous Jew named Rabbi Ariel Levine, and he went to the doctor once with his wife, and the doctor said, what's bothering you? And he said, my wife's leg is hurting us. And he wasn't, like, being cute. Right. There's a sense that... it there's, there's a sense that it's one life and there's different aspects of it like manifest in different personalities and different bodies, but it ultimately it's one life. and that's what you're striving to create and to achieve. Um, you know I'm not going to turn this into a classical advice, but from that you understand the idea of, of what it means that, that the divine presence rests there. So if these spheres are innately holy, these spheres innately their whole being is the creation being, you can't have this notion of each one being distinct and isolated from the other, and then having to figure out how they fit together. So that means every single sphere must have some aspect, must have some quality of every other sphere. So even if your even if your soul comes from the malchus and the lowest level of the malchus of the lowest world, it has some aspect of the chachma of that world, some chachma-like quality to it. So that's idea number one. Good questions. So either this is all very clear have a or you haven't processed it yet to come up with a question one of the two, oh, oh no, we have questions. Question. Yeah. Um, okay, if you have all these spheres that are like, I don't know if coexisting is the right. word. Is it more harmony or is it more chaos? It's harmony. It's okay. Because it matter what realm it comes from. So th- there is actually a thing that there's a, there are the spheres where they don't all work together. And that's because the, the spheres are lacking something in their ability to convey Hashem that results in, in, in things not working out so well. That is a much broader discussion not relevant for... Um, but, but if you want to know how the, how the sitrach or the other side came about, it has to do with that. It has to do with the S- Hashem creating spheres which are intention and then not working out and that becomes a, a big mess. But not, we're going to go into that right now. Where do these spheres exist? Um well if you go outside and make a right and go down two blocks <laughs> there's like a, at, like what are you asking? Like we know that teras is a chachma. So like does that have any like and then if you say that terror is a chachma and then you talk about how within each sphere exists all of them, then you're saying that all the spheres exist within, but Chachma is the prominent one of the Tera. Um, um you just said was a statement, not a question. I'm giving an example to ask the question. So you want to say, Hashem's Chochmah is in Torah, so where is the Chesed? Where is the... I'm saying, like, from my previous knowledge, I know that we say that Hashem's Chachma is in Torah. Mm-hmm. So if we were going to say, like, also, we spoke out of this a little about how just the spirits all, are all within us. Right. So are there any other examples where there are... There's a certain spirit that is most prominent in that thing. Well that would go back now, so what we would say is that we would say that every each one of us has a soul that comes from a different place. So that means each soul is going to have a different thing which is most prominent. So like use the so um, I don't know. Butter and diamonds, right? Butter is soft and diamonds are hard, right? But I mean diamonds are soft in some sense and Butter is hard in some sense, right? And so, you know, the same thing. Let's say your soul comes from the divine sphere of butter and my divine sphere of diamond. But there is, if, if butter is soft, then I have some softness to my soul. And if diamonds are hard, you have some hardness to your soul. So there's an aspect of both. And that's what we'd say. So going back to what we did in the previous class, each person has a unique soul that comes from a unique level of the spheres. It really carries with it all other aspects of the spheres. So the goal here for us to know that every soul, regardless of the... And the souls really are different. And remember in the last class we spoke about how Beisham and Beishil really disagree fundamentally about how to serve Hashem and how to understand the halacha. And as much as they can abstractly understand the other points of view, they, it doesn't resonate because of the difference and divergence in the souls. And yet you can't really say that Beishil is devoid of the Sphere of Gevura or vice versa because of what we're saying. So that, that would be how it's pertinent to like the topic at hand. I want to leave Torah out of it because that adds a layer of complication that um, I think we already have enough things flying around in our minds. Yeah. But does that address what you were asking? Yeah, so when you're saying harmony, that's what are Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Okay, now what does it mean when we say that one thing is clothed in the other? All right, so you say that gets that means that if your sphere comes if your soul comes a particular sphere of a particular world. You have in some as sense aspect of all the spheres of that world. But what about spheres as they exist on a higher level world? That you don't necessarily get. That you need to introduce this new idea called enclosement. There one thing is clothed, one thing is garbed in the other. Okay? And here again, we of have two aspects. Number one, this very idea itself that, that in the lower level is clothed the higher level. And two, if you look, it says that when you clothe the lower level, the higher level and the lower level, so in this case we're clothing something in the chachma of the lowest world of Asiya; it's coming from the chachma of Malchus of the higher world, the world of Atzilus. So, I want to explain that idea. Why is all of a sudden we made it complicated? Right? Why aren't we just putting the higher chachma in the lower chachma? When we're saying we're going to put the, the higher, we're going to put the Malchus of the higher world into the into the spheres of the lower world. But the chachma of the well go to, the chachma of the bean will go to the bean, etc. So, wanna, so first I want to explain the idea of what clothed in general, and then I want to explain specifically why why machos get stuck in here, and then that'll help us set a stage for the third idea. Okay. Um, are. When we say that one thing is closed in the other, first off it's we can often mean many, many different things. And I'm gonna explain clothing the way it's supposed to be understood here. So uh, the reason I'm saying that is because I'm sure you learn other stuff and don't just like copy and paste, because it's one of these words that's very context-dependent. But we're gonna use the example of keeping Shabbos to start with. What does it mean to keep Shabbos? So, I think the obvious thing is there's a bunch of stuff you're not allowed to do, right? Okay, in addition, to that, there's a bunch of stuff you're supposed to do. So it's like candles, kiddish, Shabbos meals, right? Then there's stuff that more goes in the category of customs, right? Certain songs and things like that, right? But there's a way to observe Shabbos, right? Okay. Let us imagine that... A person went through the code of Jewish law that described all of the laws of Shabbos. A person um, observed Shabbos and so knew all the different like, nuances and customs of how to do it. And they did everything. Is it correct to say that their Shabbos observance is complete? They kept all the laws, they did all the things, they practiced all the customs. Is their Shabbos observance complete? Or are they missing something? Is it possible for them to still be missing something? Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. Possible. What, is the, what would they be missing? The spirit of Shabbos. The spirit of Shabbos. Okay, so I want you to please tell me what is the spirit of Shabbos? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, like to have like the, oh, you, you don't like this word, the essence of rest maybe? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that, I, you, can, I, you can use whatever words you want. I'm going to be very non-judgmental. I'm just going to okay. make sure I understand what you're talking about. What does that mean? What is the essence of I mean it means to sleep? go to sleep. No. And you want me to take a nap? Is that what no, you're saying? Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I also speak Hebrew, but I still don't know what you mean. What do you want me to do? That uh, was a little more clear. Um, the the holiness. Maybe it's idea of keeping Chabbos. Why do we do that? The saint. I heard something that I really liked. Chavis. Yeah. Chavis yeah. Chavis. I was was <laughs> it was saying that Instead of like looking at Shabbos as a day of rest, it's a day of contentment. Because Hashem, after building the world, it's not that and finally Shabbos came and he rested. It's that he was able to look back at his work and be content. So like whenever I finished a project, I'm like, I'm in touch with the spirit of like, Shabbos? I'm just me, asking This me. is <laughs> so you I'm... I'm <laughs> it's fine. I'm not objecting. I'm just asking. Is that what you mean? Like, like I finished a project... <laughs> I'm like, now oh. is that what you mean? Yeah, maybe. Okay. And your week, your whole week was this big project of labor. But can I then have Shabbos now on Tuesday? What's that? What's that? What's that? So I'm asking you a serious question. So can I have Shabbos on Tuesday? Like, I had this big project, I worked on it, and it was successful, and now I feel very content and satisfied, and whatever words you want to use. So am I having Shabbos on Tuesday? No. Hashem said on the seventh day, Hashem said on the seventh day like, you recognize the seventh day rested, You take part in the rest. You make it special, different from the rest of the week. So, what do you want me to do exactly on Shabbat? <laughs> I'm already keeping all the halachas. I want to be clear. You're telling me I can keep the halachas, keep the customs, do everything I'm supposed to be doing, and I can still be missing something. So I'm asking, what's this thing I'm supposed to be doing? Isn't like, it you really told me something specific. I like that, but then I can do it on Tuesday. Like, no, no, no I can't do it. Like, like, so like, well, isn't this... After I to, like, coordinate all my projects and I finish, like, Friday and- <laughs> Afternoon yeah, perfectly spicy. Like I can't finish things On Tuesday Well isn't Isn't it like Shabbat is The holy day Like it's God's It's God's day Okay So that's the spirit of I feel like the hands help okay. They do help They do help You know why they help Why um, Tell me why do they help they do help. Eh? I don't have words. You don't have words, so you need something other to help convey it. The spirit it to of my words. Okay, this is the point. This is the point. There are, th- th- I- I- I'm setting you up a bit because, the mere fact that I'm asking you, the mere fact that I'm asking you telling me what to do, means it's not the spirit of Shabbos. It's again an observance of Shabbos. The spirit of Shabbos, Shabbos not doing no. actively do anything. Can't be put in words. No, I could put it in words. That's not the issue. It's just it's just the way I phrased the question, the words that you're using are gonna end up failing. Because I I I asked you a misleading question. I said, okay, I can be doing everything and missing something. You're like, yes. I'm all agreement. I said, we're missing the spirit of Shabbos. I said, like, good. Okay, so now what do I need to do to have the spirit of shops? Like, like, what am I actually supposed to do to get that spirit? And that's the misleading question because if, whatever anything. you're doing and, it, and an act of not doing like I'm not doing I'm Like it still a, a goes in the realm of doing. doing now some of you are getting at it but because I was misleading you and there's a point to this exercise it's not just to be funny um, because I was, I was misleading you with the question you weren't able to articulate it hence you're moving with the hands which is fine if Shabbos feels like Another day of the week that you're just doing different things on, then it's not Shabbos. Shabbos should feel, and 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 just like I don't know, just, just like Shabbos observance comes in degrees, right? There's like the really serious stuff, and like there's like you know, there, there's more and more refinement, right? So again, totally different realm. There are the pasuk says the verse says there's six days you should do your work, and on Shabbos you should rest i don't care what it means to do your work and i don't care what it means to rest and don't try and explain it to me because it means you explain to me we're back to what i'm supposed to do and i'm not supposed to have this behavior. this day is supposed to as a day feel apart from the other days now that apartness right can layer upon layer upon layer, but it's a way that you feel and experience the very day, not what you are doing. This is where I was misleading it. Everything you said about feeling contentment, it's all true stuff, I'm sure it says in Chasidis, but here's the thing. If I feel content because I finished my job, like I was working on something and it finished, I feel content. That contentment has that 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 experience has very much related to the fact that I finished something, and now I look back on it and I was successful, it was good, it was nice, yeah. Does it have anything to do with the fact that it's Tuesday or Monday or when? No. In other words, like this. I'm 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 gonna give you two different scenarios. Scenario number one is I have a very big project and I finish it on Tuesday, and it feels good and I feel satisfied, I feel content, I look back and I'm filled with delight. That might be a good analogy for something about Shabbos, but that's not Shabbos. On the other hand, I'm in the middle of an extremely difficult project, right? And it's on my head. But there's 24 plus hours where it just disappears. Because it's not relevant today. And I may be in in light of that very satisfied with with, with like in some sense it's done. Like whatever whatever had to happen those six weeks, I did it, and it was good. The project is done, but now is not the time like, it's a different time. It's a time apart. The time of God. You see what I'm saying? Now, here's the thing. Can you just decide to feel this way? Can you make yourself feel this way? I think it goes in conjunction with also observance. That's right. If you observe Shabbos, and here's the rule, okay? If you observe Shabbos to the proper degree there's a basic baseline level which is not violating halacha, but there's more than that. Then what happens? You are creating the right garment, the right medium through which that sense can be experienced. In other words, if you live on Shabbos in a certain way, you have certain observances. You make kiddush, you don't do the malachas, and then, again, and the thing is. You know, each person does it in a different way. Then what happens, there is this sense that you have through that, that today is, this, is Shabbos. Today is different. By the way, this then leads to something that in halacha class annoys people tremendously. You ask the rabbi, are you allowed to do this? He says, it's not Shabbos it's not in the spirit of Shabbos. And you're like, well, what's wrong with it? The answer is, if you're observing Shabbos to the proper degree that you have a sense of Shabbos, then you're able to look at something else and That will that would be destructive, that would interfere. So what you have here is this fusion <coughs> of two different, uh, uh, two different things. Your ability to experience this more subtle or ethereal sublime thing is through these observances. And here's the thing, if you're one, if you need to experience it on a more profound level, then the observances need to be. Right? So obviously the Shabbos observance for a child is not the Shabbos observance for an adult. The Shabbos observance for someone who's very new to Judaism might be different from someone who right? I'm not getting into that. that that's very specific. Okay? But it also means that if your approach to the observance is you go about the observance in a way that, that you, you could do it and it's like you need to show up to class in order to learn, right? But if you show up to class resentful, it doesn't matter. You're not going to learn anyway. So it, you have to not just do the observance at the right level, but in the right way in order for those observances to really be a garment for the spirit of Shabbos. Does this make sense? Okay. So now I'm going to tell you something else which is disturbing. When you are young, and I mean this by both in age and in experience, in other words, someone who's like a child, maybe even to early teenage, possibly to their early 20s, and also when a person is new to Shabbos, um, Hashem is very involved in helping you out in this process. And one of the ways you can see this is that you find someone who's religious, and they're older, and they've been religious for a while. And the honest truth is that as much as they're Shabbos observant, Shabbos doesn't feel special. Why? Because it becomes part of routine. It becomes routine. And Shabbos has to, the actual word for observing is shamar v'zachar. There's a guarding of the Shabbos. There's a making of it. You have to do the observances of Shabbos in such a way that you're creating a garment, a medium through which that experience can reach you. And when you're young, right? And again, young could be both in age or in the fact you're new to it. Hashem very much takes an active role in that. Um, and that's why Shabbos is so amazing and meaningful. Very often And then afterwards You have to Okay So So if I were to ask you If if, if I were If I were to ask you What is Shabbos Like it's very easy to describe what Shabbos is. And I don't mean easy in the sense like I could do it in five minutes, but I could, okay, there's malach, there's things you're not allowed to do their work, and then there's Kiddush, and then there's the prayers, and then there's the meals, and I could describe, and each thing I can then, and I can write books and, books, and books, and books, and books, and books, and books, and books, describing all of the different observances of Shabbos. I could describe, for instance, by the way, we could go even deeper. We could describe how one's approach to prayer should, should di- differ on Shabbos than during the weekday. We could, um, for instance, the main focus of prayer during the week is to overcome your evil inclination. The main focus of prayer on Shabbos is to appreciate Hashem's very being. Okay, we could talk about that. I could talk about the differences and how it reflects. You could write books and books and books and books about this, today till tomorrow. And you could have a very clear image in your head and still have no sense of what Shabbos really is. And conversely, you could be three years old and have a very clear sense of what Shabbos really is because you have the appropriate garment for Shabbos to reach you in your little three-year-old space. Does that make sense? Yeah, but I think that's with anything in life. That's true. I just decided to use Shabbos as the example. This is, I think Shabbos is a very easy example to use, and it's a very important example to use, because frankly, um, as Jews, and um, I think especially as Jewish women, it's the most Jewish thing in our life. I mean, men have tefillin every day. They go to minyan every day. Women don't necessarily do those things. I mean, they don't put on tefillin they don't necessarily go to shul like, It depends on circumstance. But Shabbos is like, like, that's the hinge around which our Jewish life, you know, like every week. And, you know, chas v'shoom, a person finds themselves after a few years and they're, they're observant, they're keeping the rules. But Shabbos is just like, you know, we don't have to do anything, but it's not a special day. It's not a different day. It's not a day apart from the other days. It's a day where you just don't don't do certain things. Right? So when when that more concrete thing becomes the medium through which you're able to experience that more subtle and ethereal thing, that's what we mean it's a garment. That makes sense? So what are we saying that the lower spheres really are? They're more tangible. Right? But the point is not the tangibility. The point is the lower spheres of the lower worlds are to make the higher spheres tangible, right? Going back, going back to like the Shabbos, right? In as much as we're talking about experiencing Shabbos, right, all of these Shabbos observances are, are supposed to make the sense that this is this is a day apart, this is a holy day, this is a day that's not part of the week. Make that reach the person. So the spheres of the lower world are really just. A garment to make the spheres of the higher world more tangible. Which means if you are in touch with a sphere of the lower world, you are actually sensing a sphere of the, of the, higher, world. Of the higher world just in a more concretized form. Okay? So wouldn't you assume that the lower it is, the more you can experience this? That's right, but there does a trade off. The lower the sphere, the easier it is to experience. But the, but it, it reduces the, the purity of it. And I'll give you just a very simple example. Think about the difference between the Shabbos of a seven-year-old, where Shabbos party treats are, are like a part of Shabbos observance, and the Shabbos of, say, I don't know, the Alter Rebbe, who, you know, doesn't really need, you know... Actually, I'll use a different example. The Rebbe's father, one time... the when the Rebbe's father was in exile, they there was no food to eat for three days. They just didn't have food. There was no there was no food. The Rebbe's mother wrote in her diary that she was very annoyed because she looked at the Shabbos table and it was empty. There was nothing to put on—not even a piece of bread—and she said I was very bothered by this. Also, it could be that I was hungry. <laughs> um, but then her husband, the Rebbe's father, so he finishes davening, and they have this small little mud hole in the middle of like you don't remember, this mosquito-infested village, um, and he turns around to what passes for the table after finished davening, and his face is beaming, and he looks at the table, and she writes, and he looked at the table as if it was like a, a lavishly set regular Shabbos table, and he and he says, quoting the, the Gemara, that there's a special spice and Shabbos is its name. And like, he then he started seeing Shomalecha, because like Shomalecha doesn't depend on that whether you have food to eat. So like, it, it, like a person like that, right, they, what... They need a very thin garment to experience it, and therefore they're experiencing it in a much purer way. And the child is experiencing it with a much thicker garment, and they're experiencing it in a more coarser way. There's a trade-off, right? Quality versus quantity here. If your soul comes from a higher level, a higher world, right, you're going to experience the, spherous, uh, the, the the highest level of spheres in a much purer way. But you know what? It's going to be a very subtle experience that very few people are capable of living with. And if your soul comes from a much lower world, then your soul is going to be able to be something that's 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 much more people can tap into and get touched with. But the quality of the, the of what's being conveyed through your soul is going to be, it's going to have that less quality, it's going to be less pure. So when we say that that the higher world spheres clothe themselves in the lower world spheres, because the lower world spheres are a garment; they're the medium for which to experience the higher ones. And the more garments you need. The more accessible it is, but the less sublime and pure it is. And that's the trade-off between people with low <coughs> level souls and people with high level souls. But the point is, at the end of the day, you're all experiencing the what the thing you're in touch with in your soul is ultimately the same. The higher level spheres are ultimately clothed in the lower level spheres. Okay? So if I get in touch with my soul, and let's say my soul's on the lowest level, and the Balshemto is in touch with his soul, his soul's on the highest level, what we're in touch with is actually the same. It's just I'm experiencing it the way a child experiences the spirit of Shabbos and he's experiencing it, you know, in a much more sublime way. Does that make sense? Okay. Why would anyone like have a desire to experience anything more than they are? That's the most tangible experience they'll receive. They shouldn't. That the fact that you have a desire to experience something beyond you is a sign that you don't is a sign that you're self absorbed and living in personal delusion. That's one of the reasons why um, Jealousy of someone else's soul is like it's it's like it's it's, it's fundamentally silly. Um, because what you're jealous of is that you're not someone else, and if you're really jealous that you're not someone else, it means like you're like you're not you're not living. It. And there's no way you're in touch with your soul if you're in that place. Um, yeah, so it's like it's actually an interesting thing where 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 Walterba later on complained says, says that some people complain that the how come their soul is not on the high level to become a that They're just on this lower level of being a benanee. Without getting to worry what that is. But it's, not, it's on a higher level. The being is on a lower level. And like, the alternative gives answers why Hashem would do that. But in terms of like the underlying thing that like, yeah, but why should I be a, be a lower level when someone else is on a higher level? He just like chalks that up to like just, you know, self-absorption and arrogance and like not being honest with yourself. Like that That's just something you have to be mature enough to get over. Right? Um, I, you know, there are... I'm a rabbi. I teach chassidus. There are other rabbis. They teach chassidus. Some of them I'm very impressed by, and I have a lot to learn from. But sometimes you enter this fancy like I would like to be him. I would like to have what I think think that he has. And then you know, hopefully you quickly catch yourself that that's like a it's 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 they say Yiddish it's It's just it's stupidity. You're not ever going to be somebody else. It doesn't even make. There's no notion of becoming someone else. If you can learn from someone, if you can gain from someone, that's a different thing. So yeah. The only thing is to really get in touch with your soul not anyone else's soul. Now, I do want to say, um, and this is just parenthetical, but it's important to mention. Um, remember what we said about the souls, um, about the spheres being um, um, all incorporating each other? So if you're getting more in touch with your soul, and my soul comes from a particular sphere, and your soul comes from a particular <coughs> sphere, but the spheres are ultimately, right, have this the composition with each other, that means the more I'm getting in touch with my soul, I must be, by definition, getting more in touch with... Who else's soul? No. That, that person. Another person. Another person. Right? So, both that, <clears throat> in a weird kind of way, the desire to be someone else is a foolish desire. All you should desire is to be in touch with your soul. But by being in touch with your soul, you're more in touch with them. And so, the aspect of them that you really can embody, you actually get more in touch with. In a weird kind of way, not trying to be someone else, being in touch with your own soul actually gets you to be more like and more in tune with everybody else and will the part of you that can be like that. Which then leads to things like loving your fellow Jew and the unity of Jewish people and wonderful ideas like that. Okay. Good? Okay. So the difference between someone like Rabbi Shim Baruchai, who has a soul of the highest world of Atzilus, and someone like me who has a very, very lowly soul presumably is just how coarse is the medium through which is being experienced, right? Is it is it a thin garment, a thicker garment? Okay. Um, now, why do we have to introduce Malchus into this whole equation, right? Because we were talking about, we want to say that every sphere has an aspect of Chachma, and in the lower level Chachma is clothed the higher level Chachma. It doesn't say clothed the high level Chachma, it says it's clothed the Chachma of Malchus. Why does. What if to stick mouthfuls into this whole thing? So we're going to talk a little bit about the sphere of mouthfuls, which is um, important in general, um, and it's important in this in particular. We do not know what the spheres are. If anyone tells you they know what the spheres are, they're either doing one of three things: lying to you, not being precise in their language, or they're self-deluded. Most likely it's a second thing, by the way, they're just not being precise language. We have no idea what the spheres are. But we do have analogies for the spheres, that the spheres function in ways that are analogous to particular things. That for instance, Malchos is analogous to our ability to speak. What is our ability to speak? What is its function? Communicate. Okay. And now I want to be very specific. Is the measure of communication... In other words, we want to say is communication... Am I I using my speech effectively, properly? Is is the measure of communication my sense that what I have said accurately reflects my intent? Or that the listener has an accurate sense of my intent. Which one is the real measure of communication? The listener. listener. This is why I like to differentiate between communication and self-expression. I can say things that feel very authentic ways of expressing them, and people don't necessarily know what I mean. And I can say things that don't feel very authentic, but it turns out that way of saying it, they actually get my intent. So what are you doing when you are speaking, especially if you're speaking effectively? Taking into consideration the person who's listening. Good, and what are you doing with that taking into consideration? What are you actually doing though? Adjusting what you're going to say. Making mm. up space for them. Well, if I adjust what I'm going to say based on who I'm talking to that I don't know if that's so much speech as um, maybe wisdom. <laughs> Not everything should be said to everybody, right? That's a different idea, right? You know, one of my kids complains that I don't tell him everything, no. um, including about himself and his, like, Like you know, if I talk to someone else about, like, parenting advice, he wants to, like, a transcript of the conversation. Yeah. And, like... And I, I have the wisdom to realize that not everything a parent discusses about their child the child should hear, um, but he doesn't have the wisdom to realize that that's the appropriate thing. would eventually they grow older and they realize that. So OK, um, you know, th- that judiciousness of what should be said to whom and what context and when, right? That's wisdom, that's not speech. It's an important thing,. Yeah. Um, but what are you doing when you're speaking? In other words, you're going to say this. So what are you doing when you're speaking? You, you, hopefully, with wisdom, you decided that this should be said to this person. Now what? Now what are you doing when you're speaking? You are considering them. You're taking them to account. You make space in your mind. But what are you actually doing? Those are just like mental prerequisites to speak. What's act? What are you actually doing when you're speaking? Saying words. <laughs> no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what you are doing is you are creating a garment for your meaning. Um, and if you pick the wrong garment, like I just did, then many people will yeah, understand. understand, right? Notice how by just switching to Hebrew, right, people did not follow. Some people did because they have an understanding of Hebrew, right? Okay. Um, but it's not just the specific language, Hebrew versus English, right? So there's a ways of saying things. For instance, when you're in my line of work, you learn that certain words are good to use. You know why they're good to use? Because when you use these words, people listen. And you use other words, they're not listening to you anymore. So you want to hear a word that you should use? Like maybe if you really... Now, these words change over time and in context, but here's, some, here's a word that you should use. You can figure out a way to fit it in without... You don't want you don't want to compromise your meaning, so you have to. The, the trick, <coughs> but here's a word: if you can throw it in occasionally, people tend to listen. If you can just throw in the word "authentic," mm-hmm, and every yes. time I have people like, "Oh, okay, I'm here this this is I won't hear what you're saying." Yeah, "authentic" is good, right? <laughs> what about "essential"? What? What about "essential"? I, that I think varies on the group, but I've I've never I've I've, I've seen. But it, you know, I think some people are "essential," some people, you know. When I hear people saying essential, it makes me very suspicious that they don't really know what they're talking about. But not always. It depends a lot. But you try to figure things out. You try to figure out what words work for th- these particular types of people. Um, in in, in, in um, the art of rhetoric, the art of communicating with others, this is called ethos. How do you present yourself in a way that makes you acceptable to others? What kinds of words will they actually hear your meaning and which one's not? Okay. Now. The idea is that ultimately they should get your meaning, right? You're not, trying to con- you're not trying to conceal your meaning, right? If you're trying to conceal your meaning, then you're just being deceptive, right? That's a different idea. So when you are speaking, you are speaking. What we're doing is we're using language to create a garment for our meaning, right? So which sphere is associated with garment producing? Producing a garment, producing this, this clothing so that one thing can be experienced in a lower more concrete level. Which sphere is associated with that? So which sphere is all the clothing happening through? Malchus. If I say one thing is being clothed in another thing, I know by definition what's involved? Malchus. Right? If I have meaning in my mind, and I'm trying to convey it to your mind, Right. it has to go through my faculty of speech that produces the garment, right? And so if I want to get the Chachma of the highest world, into the chachma of the lowest world, it's the highest world's malchus that needs to be involved in doing that. And so we say the chachma of malchus, of the highest world, goes into the chachma of the lower world. Then we'd say the Chesed, for argument's sake, just picking one, of the malchus, of the higher world, goes into the Chesed of the Lord, and so on and so forth. Okay, and just to make something clear, is that um, if I'm trying to communicate with somebody, right, so let's use two examples, let's say I have ideas. It's the way my ide- I'm able to put my ideas into language that communicates the ideas to the other person's mind. And let's say I'm trying to communicate a feeling. Then it's the way I can put that feeling into language that reaches the other person's heart. Think of the difference between a formal argumentative essay and, and the, first one, this is the first one versus poetry is the second one. Right? So there's the, each aspect of yourself as it is part of speaking, as part of garment making, then is, that's what gets it into the form that can then reach the other. And so if I wanna have the highest level of whatever sphere clothe itself in a lower level, that's gonna have that highest level through sphere, uh, the highest level through, through Malchus. So we would say, like it says here, the Chachma of Malchus of the highest world, that's Silas, is what gets clothed in the, Chach- the Chachma of the lowest world. Okay? Um, parenthetically, do miscommunications occur? And is it helpful to like try and work through those things? Yeah, There's different ways of doing that? Okay. So Kabbalistically, you want to, you know, basically all of Judaism from a Kabbalistic point of view boils down to helping work through the divine speech. That... Hashem's Malchus is not corrupting things as it clothes them, but actually accurately conveys them. And the different types of mitzvahs that we have help somehow. Yeah, if I were to be kind of uh, cheeky about the thing, I'd say we're God's speech, we're God's speech therapists from a Kabbalistic point of view. But um, you know, or, or or maybe speech coaches. I don't know, something like that. Okay, good.
1: Really technical question.
0: Yeah. Like, the others, if their sources above, like in within Auxilus in the higher sphere, do they contain within them Malchus as well? Well, first off, everything is to contain everything else. Okay. I think what you probably mean to ask, does it have to come through Malchus? So the answer is yes, but it's different and... Briefly speaking, the issue is not their soul has to come through malchus, but there's a separate. There's there's one thing is like how does the soul come itself come about, and then there's how does the soul get into the body? So let's say the avayis who their soul comes from the spheres and atzilus, their soul doesn't really need the malchus per se, but in order for the soul to get in the body, it does, Um, and so you end up with these kind of different Channels of the way things work through malchus—it's not really relevant for our purposes. Because what we want to focus on here is how the lowest souls really contain the highest levels, while still maintaining the fact that they're the lowest souls. Okay. All right. Now, that takes us to our third idea. Yeah, our third idea is that in the chachma of malchus of the highest world called Atzilus is contained the chachma of Atzilus itself. And I'm just going to say this in a very, you know, simple analogy which I think is somewhat intuitive. The ideas that are contained in my speaking are my own ideas. The ideas that I know, right? That makes sense? Like I know stuff, and then when I start speaking, the content of my speech, even though it's maybe more limited, does contain my ideas. And that's why when you are speaking about things that you know, you can see in what you're speaking about a tremendous amount of depth that you may even not be trying to communicate, but you still see it there. Okay. Um, so have you ever spoken to a little child about something that you know, has a lot of depth to it, and you're answering their question? So the, the, the knowledge that's in your speech is very limited, But because that knowledge is derived from your own knowledge, you actually see in that little bit of knowledge how it actually encapsulates a tremendous amount more knowledge. So there's really two things. You're communicating this lower level of knowledge to the child and this question, are you doing it effectively or not? But then you also have a sense that in that little bit of knowledge is so much more knowledge that you're not even really communicating in the speech but it's somehow latent within it nonetheless. That makes sense? So really, in the Chachma of the Malchus is really, in some sense, the Chachma in and of itself. And now if you put all this together, if the lowest sphere in any world contains... The highest sphera, Chachma, and the Chachma of any world has the Chachma of Malchus of the highest world clothed in it, and the Chachma of Malchus itself carries with it the, the, the Chachma of the highest world, then it means every single soul really has, in some sense, within it the Chachma of the highest world. And the question is just simply how overt and how easy and how clearly it manifests in that soul, but every soul really contains the highest level. Called Chachma of the world of Atsilas. And yet, we still maintain the very clear differences between different types of souls. Right? That's the basic structure of what he's saying here. To be perfectly honest, we could have skipped the entire today's class and you could still understand the rest of the chapter. Because the point that's necessary for this is that no matter what level of soul you have, even at the lowest level, It contains an aspect of the highest sphere of the highest world called Chachma Vatzilas. And it's understanding the ramifications of what it means to contain Chachma Vatzilas. That's what's the... I'm going to use this word just to be cute. The essential part of the chapter. This was not the essential part of the chapter. Um, The reason I'm saying it is because this was abstract and it's a little bit um, technical. If you followed it, it's good. It helps have a more mature, richer understanding of what we're talking about. If you did not follow, it's not the end of the world um, because like I said, the main point is for whatever rationale technical reasons, the lowest level, necess- lowest level soul necessarily has the highest aspect in it even though those souls are still distinct in terms of their level, degradation, and how they function. Good? Okay, questions on that um, before we move on? Okay So now let's read it inside Now that we understand what we're reading We can read it And hopefully the, word, the words of the altar Will be more illuminated They will shine into our mind Okay, so I'm going to start from the line that says uh, From his works, <coughs> period Beginning of the sentence Even the most worthless of worthless men And sinners of Israel are thus endowed at the time of the marital union, with at any rate a nefesh, which is the lowest level soul, the nefesh, which is the, the lowest level of the lowest level, of malchus, which is the lowest sphere, dasia which is the lowest world, which is the lowest grade of holiness in the world of Asiyah. Nevertheless, since the latter is of the ten holy spheres, it is compounded of all of them, including chachma of the world of Asiyah, the highest level of that world, wherein is clothed chachma of malchus of atzillus, Incorporating Chachma So, therefore, your lowest level soul, if you happen to have a lowest level soul, has Chachma Vatzilus. And what is special of Chachma Vatzilus? Which is illuminated by the actual light of the Ain Sof, blessed be He. At as is written, the Lord founded the earth with wisdom, and you have made them all with wisdom. So, what is contained, what is illuminating? Chachmah of the world of Atsilos The actual light of the Ein Sof Blessed is he Whatever that is Thus it comes to pass That the Ein Sof Blessed is he Is garbed as it were In the wisdom Or I'm going to translate this In the technical term The Chachma Of the human soul Of whatever Jew he may be And that's the point We want to get to Is that because you have Chachma of Atsilos And Chachma of Atsilos Has the 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 Ein Sof It has the light of Hashem Whatever that means Therefore What does your soul possess within it? The light of Hashem. Does it matter what level of soul you have? No. And what we need to do to understand the rest of the is understand what is Chachma? What what is the light of Hashem? What is their relationship? How does that relate to the rest of my soul? That's what we want to do. And that is going to help us understand... um, the 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 root of of that love. Remember, we spoke, about, we spoke about the love, that we had four questions. The two questions answer the chapter, how is it an inheritance? And what is its origin? What is its root? So we already know the answer to how it's an inheritance. Because of the special divine service of the patriarchs, they were able to bequeath as an inheritance a godly soul. And that godly soul they bequeath has some aspect of Chachm of the world of Atzilus, which contains Hashem's Ein Sof, whatever that means, which we'll talk about. And it's that Ein sof contained in Chachmah which is going to be the origin, the root of this love that every Jew has. And that's what we're going to spend the rest of the chapter on. What is chachma? What is the Ein Sof in Chachmah? What does that look like? What is that about? Okay. And then move on to chapter 19, which is going to be what is the goal of what is this love? What is this love seeking out? And how it contains a kind of a fear. All right, tomorrow we are going to start um, talking about Chochmah and Sok and what they are and how they relate to each other. If you fell off the bandwagon today,